But before, I was listening to the UCB radio on the way over, and there was uh, an amazing story from a man from Ignite Ministries, and he, w- he was telling uh, the story of his first day at work in a call center, and uh, he was a, a bit of an evangelist. And on the uh, phone came a woman who wanted to complain about her gas and electric, and she was very angry. And uh, he was answering the phone, and he felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit say to him, tell her that you're a Christian. And he was like, oh my goodness me, I'm going to have to go home to my wife and say I've been fired on my first day at work for uh, saying I'm a Christian, because of course all those calls are recorded and listened to by managers checking up on you. Uh, but he was obedient to the Holy Spirit and said, look, I'm, I'm a Christian. Um, you sound cross, so what's really going on for you uh, behind this bill? And uh, she explained to him that she had cancer, that she was in a terminal stage, uh, and that this was going to be the last bill she ever paid, and she was just cross and angry. And she'd used to be a Christian. She'd used to go to church, but had rejected uh, that way of life some time ago. Uh, and he starts talking to her, and um, he says, look, Jesus can heal you of cancer, but even if he doesn't, if you get right with him now, then at least you'll be able to enjoy an eternity with him, a freedom and love and joy and opportunity. And she there and then uh, changed like, uh, her mentality and her attitude completely. And at the end of the phone call, she said to him, look, uh, after this phone call, I was going to go out from here and uh, take my own life. I was going to commit suicide. Um, and what you've done has uh, rescued me and saved me. So he puts down the phone and gets called into the manager's office. And he's like, oh my goodness me, how to explain that? I've been fired on, on day one in my job. And the managers uh, look at him and say, look, we can't condone what you just did in that phone call, um, but you saved her life. And if you can save lives in the future, please do. And he walks out of that glass office into the large auditorium of 600 desks and phones and so forth, uh, and he got a round of applause from everyone. And so from that moment on, I was known as the preacher. And uh, whenever a uh, phone went for me, the ringtone was son of a preacher man. And uh, I was a bit dated, I guess. Um, and, the, um, and from there on, he just had to be upfront about who he was. And he says, but if I hadn't obeyed that prompting of the Holy Spirit, what would have happened to that woman, not just now, but for eternity Uh, she was very lost and now she's found and he was just explaining he's just come back from a mission in Ukraine where he's seen a hundred people give their lives to the Lord so if you're not sure what to listen to if we all get uh, embargoed in our house and stuck uh, behind uh, closed doors for a little while as it may be possible tune in on your digital radio stations to UCB it's much more uplifting than uh, other radio stations that uh, might be named Uh, so do uh, try that occasionally it's very good for the soul Here we are, we've got Jesus uh, heading into uh, the wilderness, and it's a sort of passage we come back to again and again in Lent. And I just wanted to bring a few reflections on this uh, that have been coming out of a clergy study day I'm attending today over in Twickenham. And uh, the first point is that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit when he leaves the Jordan and is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And the reflection is, if you've ended up in a wilderness... Um, as I've said before who took you there did you take yourself there or was it God who took you there you might have taken yourself there by some willful disobedience 
But actually, just being in a wilderness per se is not necessarily a bad thing. And we understand the language, don't we? A spiritual wilderness that feels dark, it feels blank, it feels empty, it feels barren, it feels lost, it feels dry. And these are the experiences of every believer over a lifetime of following Jesus, but particularly maybe at important moments of preparation. And if you're in a wilderness, it may be that you are still full of the Holy Spirit, even though you can't feel it. Jesus' experience here of being stuck there was from a context of having been very much full of the Spirit. And there's nothing in the passage to suggest that he stops being full of the Spirit at any stage in this situation. Although it's hard to imagine after 40 days of not eating that he's going to be feeling at the top of his game in terms of the hierarchy of needs. He'll have many needs right before him. And it says for 40 days uh, in, in this account, he is tempted by the devil. Um, and so there's a sense of an ongoing battle that is going on, a testing or a tempting by the devil. I have to note one thing about the devil here, because he's often misunderstood. Some people see him just as a, a sort of a fictional device. Some people see him as an incredibly powerful force. And um, the thing about the devil in um, Augustine and C.S. Lewis's thought is that he is only, um, he has to have come from something good because God can only make good. God's not the author of evil per se. Uh, he was good. He was, uh, he was an angel of light who fell. And his characteristic now then is of a void of goodness. Evil is essentially a void of goodness. And like any void, it's a vortex. It sucks you into it, into emptiness, into nothingness. C.S. Lewis has a graphic depiction of how he understood hell in his book, The Great Divorce. And he sees it very much like uh, many aspirant West Londoners uh, see their potential life plan spreading out in front of them. People uh, being able to have whatever property they wanted to live in just immediately appearing for them, big as they liked, isolated as they liked, behind secure doors in a grey and bleak world where they had everything and yet they have nothing at all. The greyness, the bleakness of materialism and everything you ever wanted but nothing you really needed or really desired there before you. And the devil can only offer us a pale reflection of something that's good. He can only offer us an imitation, a fraction, a twisting of something that God will give us freely and goodly of himself. So the first thing he offers Jesus is for um, the chance to use kingdom power. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. The chance to use kingdom power. If you are the son of God, if you're the king, then use your power, use your kingdomness to make this stone become bread. Now we know from Jesus' creative miracles that it's well within the realm of kingdom theology that a stone can become bread. We've seen similar miracles at other points in the Old Testament where out of a rock comes water when Moses touches it with his staff. Other occasions where uh, food appears almost supernaturally, thinking of the stories in Elijah and Elisha's time. And it would be very realistic for Jesus to just go become bread, to use kingdom power. And he says, no, man shall not live on bread alone. He doesn't choose to use the kingdom 
for himself. You think, well, where do we have the chance to use God's kingdom? I wonder which bits of God's kingdom most touch on your life. Maybe that you think of the things that God's given you through the Holy Spirit. It might be your gifting. It might be the fruits of his spirit, the love, the peace, the joy that you have. And it's very possible for us to use those things slightly perversely in order to orientate people or attention or stuff to us. So maybe you're someone who, in God's grace, carries a gift for speaking or singing or for uh, hospitality. And you use that to draw attention to you, to meet your own felt needs. This is exploiting the kingdom for ourselves, to meet our own felt need. And Jesus refuses to do that with his hunger. I'm not going to use kingdom to exploit my felt needs of bread. Having rejected the likelihood of using kingdom power for his own ends, he then rejects the, uh, yours is the kingdom, the power, the power factor of just having authority over whatever he wants to. And um, it may be that if we've walked a path in life where we've given up on some of the materialistic success of just having everything uh, kingdom-wise, just every material that we might want, that we think, oh, um, uh, maybe I'm doing that because I want people to see me in a better light. Maybe you've given up things for following Jesus. Um, and you've given up some of the, the kingdom stuff for, of, uh, that a son of a king could expect to have, a high position, maybe a high salary, a, a wage or so forth. And uh, yet, within your heart is a desire for people to go, yeah, you're amazing. <laughs> you're wonderful. You're a figure that I can respect and who has authority invested in them. Maybe we would be prepared to sacrifice materialism for power or position. Of course, many people do do that. Make great sacrifices to achieve a position of some sort. And Jesus says, uh, to that temptation, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'm not going to take on power for myself or authority for myself. I'm going to Lay that down. That's uh, for God alone. And having escaped then these two things of uh, the trappings of the child of a king, of just getting what he wants materially, using his gifts for his own purposes, and uh, escaping the trappings of power and other people seeing him as a great figure, a great authority figure, and it comes in that temptation, that subtle, pervasive temptation, as the speaker was saying this morning to me, of spiritual pride. You know, I'm not like those people who need power or need position. I'm not like those people who just gather stuff for themselves. And he was saying that um, Karl Barth said something like, everyone who has heard the gospel already in that immediate point needs to hear the gospel again. Because as soon as you realize that it's only grace that saved you, it becomes another commodity your disposal to go, ah, I'm getting God because I've understood grace. And almost spiritual pride is the most pervasive and difficult thing to put to death of all. And he's taken to the top of the temple 
And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And what this temptation sort of takes Jesus to is a place where he could short circuit his path to glory. Up at the top of the temple, everyone can see him as in Jerusalem. It's the most public place in the whole country. Hundreds, if not thousands of people would be staring at a man on the top of a temple. And ahead of him on one path is three years of very difficult ministry, very difficult people wanting him to fulfill all their needs all the time. And at the end of it, Calvary's tree, crucifixion. It's one path. Another path is a temple. Climbing up on top of it, jumping off, and according to the scripture, Psalm 91, angels will catch him before he gets to the bottom. Everyone will see it, and immediately they will give glory to him because he was the one the angels rescued, like Superman sweeping in in a 1950s movie and being acclaimed on the front page of the Daily Planet. He'd be there on the Jerusalem Planet front page, the great hero, the glorious one the Messiah to come. And Jesus knows, even though it doesn't end in the original text of the Lord's Prayer, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And at no point in his earthly ministry does he try and claim any of those for himself in his earthly ministry. Always pushing it away to the Father. Always pushing away from himself. And for us, Temptation comes away and we tend to fool in different ways. And so we've got this thing. Do we set Jesus up as that annoying big brother who always gets things right and we'll always fail to meet his mark? Or do we accept him as the one who in his temptation is an example, but also an advocate for us? We say, Lord Jesus, in your temptations, pray for us. Do you remember the uh, writer's uh, Hebrews, I think it is, who says, Jesus always intercedes for us. He is our great high priest. Do you see Jesus as that intercessor for you? Not just a role model to try and live your life by, because who can do that? But also your intercessor who's been through every temptation in every way, yet without sin. And because of that, can intercede with us and pray for us. Jesus resists the temptation to want glory. He resists the temptation to want power. And he resists the temptation to use the gifts of the kingdom for his own purposes. I don't know how you're doing with these things today. I'm grateful to be in this season of Lent, this chance to re-energize our spiritual lives, to recharge them. This uh, autumn series on spiritual disciplines somehow seemed to pass me by. I realized it was a good idea, um, but it didn't change my life at the time. It's good to have a chance to come back and go, come on, Lord, help me get right with you. But that temptation to pride as soon as we start doing the right thing is insipid, isn't it? You know, thank you, Lord, that I got up earlier than so-and-so and prayed today. <laughs> it's not a brilliant prayer, is it? Thank you, Lord, that I've read the Bible this week faithfully, as opposed to so-and-so who didn't. <laughs> it's not a great prayer. God, without you, 
I would be the biggest wretch of all. Without your grace, without your mercy, I would want all glory, all power, and I would exploit every gift you give me. So in your kindness, constrain my sinful heart so it might beat more closely to yours because I've tasted and seen your glory and I want to walk in harmony with you. Help me not just to accept your grace, but put disciplines into practice. Help me not to presume on your mercy, but live for you in freedom. Help me not to give up and just say, it doesn't matter anyway, he doesn't care whether I'm holy or not, but pursue holiness with all my heart. But as I pursue it, not to get cocky, arrogant, prideful, or seek any glory for myself out of my spiritual progress, but realize that compared to Jesus, I'm still a gnat on the journey anyway. God, give me humility that I might grow in grace this Lent time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.